Welcome to the Vici Mundum Show, a ministry of Our Lady of Mount Carmel Catholic Church in Newport News, Virginia. So, Father, you've got the Stations of the Cross this afternoon? I do. I have them in just a little while with the school children. They do the Stations every uh, Friday of Lent at 2. We have our diocesan, or diocesan, our parish expression of the Stations of the Cross this evening, too. So, it's a great devotion. I, I, um, I love the physical stations, um, and I love the way that um, just that they lead us through that path of Jesus. And it's an amazing history, which we're not going to get into today. Yeah. But um, well, that's one thing, thing that I found this Lent too is just reading other people's uh, stations of the cross. Like, there's not just one way to pray. There's different meditations that you can use, right, right. which is really neat. And I found one um, actually it's given to me by Tina of uh, that it's the perspective of Our Lady. So right. she kind of walks you through. It's really powerful. Well, and I think, too, there's another, like, I mean, we're going to talk about beauty in a few minutes. And, and it just occurs to me that this is the same sort of thing. That there, So, yes, you're right. There is this tradition of different written stations. Alphonse Liguri has the most famous set. But but John Paul II wrote a set. There, there are dozens and dozens of them, and they're beautiful. But what I particularly like what I particularly enjoy experiencing in the stations are the actual physical representations of the stations themselves. Um, and they're, they're all sorts of different ones. Um, you know, and every church has its own set. We have a set that's a little bit more modern, but still representational. But I think, you know, let what's represented in the station, physical station Mm. sort of, shape the way so if you so i've seen for example really traditional stations which lend themselves um to a sort of reflection on um the 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 very immediate events so they really are good at displaying the events themselves some i've seen i've seen stations of the cross done as icons Hmm. right and that that takes you sort of to a different spiritual level some sort of try to get across express um, the emotions of all the people. Ours are sort of more along those lines. They're real and representational, but they sort of really express the the power of the emotions and the feelings that are going on. Sure. So the, the physical stations can really manifest um, something beautiful, even if you're not reading something along with it. Yeah. So are we recording right now, Anthony? We have been recording, yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, good. Well, Father got us started on the, uh, on the topic. So... Um, folks, this is welcome to another podcast, the Vici Mundum podcast. Um, I'm, this is Austin Fahrenholt. I'm here with you today. We also have with us Anthony Ferguson, our seminarian, and we have a very special guest today, Father John David Ramsey, our pastor, who we all know and love. I'm glad to be here with you all. So, We're very honored to have you here with us today, Father. Thank you for, for being on the show. My pleasure. And um, as Father was kind of talking about in the opening, um, we want to today i think explore a topic that's very dear to father john david's heart um and that that topic is beauty um father you have done just some studies on particular artists one being david jones is that right right right, correct can you tell us just to kind of get us started um how should somebody be so i've looked at a lot of art um and I, by no means, have any expertise on art. Um, right. I can look at some pieces and say I really like that and can look at some and say I don't like that. Right. Um, can you give us some insight on when you approach a piece of art, what should we do? What should I do? Right. No, it's a really good question. And I, I think the thing 
and I tell people this all the time, the thing not to do is to come up to something and say, I don't know what to do with this. I don't have the background. I don't have the art historical knowledge. You know, we, we tend, I find that a lot of people get nervous around looking at art and especially some of the more challenging things like more modern pictures or some like icons. They don't know what to do with it. And, but the point sort of is that, that the art is speaking to us more than we're speaking to the art. And that's a, a sort of a, a way of saying, let the picture speak to you. Um, that's true of any kind of art. So, And when I, you say speak, you're not like... The yeah, images no, no aren't voices. moving their lips. And... No, no <laughs> voices are involved. But so, so think about it. So, so when you go out in nature, and, and this is the best analogy, I think. When you go out, so the rectory for Mount Carmel Parish is about 10 minutes from the church, and um, the fastest route between here and there takes us, When the, those of us who live in the rectory, takes us along the James River, right along the James River, the Lions Bridge. And so I'm going back and forth frequently, sometimes very early in the morning, uh, sometimes later at night, and it's not infrequent that I'm experiencing a sunrise or a sunset. And I find myself, like most people do, when they see a beautiful sunrise or sunset over the river, saying just sort of, you know, quietly, thank you, Jesus, that's really beautiful. And when that happens, there's something about the the light, the the color. We know that it's a product of science. We know or I should say we know that science tells us that it's a product of nature and that's but there's something really beautiful. There's something more than just light reflecting off refracting off of different um uh particles. There's a beauty to the sunset that is bigger than just the scientific process or the natural process. And when we when we see that we're moved. And that's a way of of nature making a claim on us, right? And so when nature, nature makes a claim on us, we're very comfortable with that. We, we like a beautiful set of mountains. Um, we like, um, you know, the way that the clouds, I love the mountains of, of Virginia and North Carolina. So um, they speak to us, and, and a work of physical art, whether it's a painting, a sculpture, uh, this includes music, it includes literature, it includes architecture, the beauty of the building, the beauty of the work of art, the sculpture, is speaking to us. And so when you come up to something in the same way that you don't try to analyze the sunset or the beauty of the mountains, um, don't try to analyze the picture. Just look at it. Look at it for what it is. I, I like the example of the Lions Bridge because just this morning, uh, driving into Mass, uh, Fridays there's the school Mass, and it's one of my favorite Masses of the week. Uh, but there was this man driving the other way down the Lions Bridge, and and he was just crawling like he mm-hmm. was just going so slow, and he he was like obviously just taking in taking in the morning, taking in the water, the water rushing like kind of the waves rolling in, and he was just driving so slow, and it, it, it was kind of a testament to he was just drinking in the beauty, he was mm-hmm. just enjoying the moment, and you know nobody happened to be behind him, but I don't think he would have cared that much mm-hmm. even if somebody was driving right behind him. He was just taking in the moment and letting the beauty kind of affect him like you're talking about. No, that's it. I've actually, speaking of that same thing, I've actually done that. Uh, a couple of years ago, I was coming back uh, from the church, and it was uh, it was sunset. And, I mean, I there are a lot of really, I mean, every sunset is magnificent in its own way, but this one was truly spectacular. The sky looked like it was on fire. And um, it was, it was, and I literally stopped 
in the middle of the road and just sat there. I mean, fortunately, it's not a very much traveled road. Um, but I even took a picture with my camera. I just couldn't let it go because it was mm. so powerful. But that's the same thing. So, you know, if you, it, art is meant to be a part of our day-to-day life. Um, most of us have a few favorite pictures. But when you walk into an art gallery, when you walk into um, a beautiful building, just let it speak to you. And again, not with actual voices, but let what you see touch your heart and touch your mind. And that's mm. the first step. Wow. Oh, that's beautiful. It kind of, I, uh, I experienced that when I went to Colorado once mm-hmm. and saw the Rockies. Yes. First time seeing it. Sure. It was just completely overwhelmed. I looked, you know, you kind of approach them, you come over some smaller mountains, and then all of a sudden they're just there in right. front of you. Right. And no matter how long you stare at it and how much you, you try to soak it in through your eyes, you just can't contain uh, the beauty. And you don't really want to. I right. mean, see, that's an interesting thing. The word, the word contain is a really good word because, so so think about it. in general, when something sort of overwhelms us in an uncomfortable way, we want to contain it. We want to control it, right? And But nature, and sometimes that can be true with nature, so that, that if you you know, if, if you find the waters rising in a flood, your, 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 your thought immediately goes, you know, this nature is trying to kill me. So what, what do I need to do to get out of it? But when you see the mountains, when you see the river, when our hearts are rightly disposed and our minds are rightly disposed, we simply receive that beauty. We don't try to contain it. We let it flow over us. Right. And so the same thing with, with a work of art. I mean, I think about a lot of the churches. I've been blessed to go to, to Rome and Italy any number of times. And the thing that's so striking about the churches when you walk into them is that they are meant to give you an immediate sense of the dignity and the beauty of God. Um, and and every little detail, but all the whole thing together, um, it's overwhelming, but not in a bad sense. Um, I mean, St. Peter's is this way, interesting, in the Vatican. St. Peter's is an immensely huge church. Uh, it's the biggest church, Catholic church, really, I think the only, the biggest church in the world, but it's so perfectly proportioned and so ordered towards both human beings and God that you just feel this immense sense of dignity, right? And that's the effect of and power of art and beauty opening us out more deeply to God. So like, uh, Father, you mentioned that we're not supposed to try to, to contain or possess the beautiful object that's before us. Right. Um, like how do we open ourselves up to receive that beauty? How do we, how can we uh, practically open ourselves up? Well, so part of it, so, so there, part of it is what I've already said, which is don't, don't presuppose that you don't know what's happening. I mean, Austin said at the beginning, you know, he sees paintings that he likes and he sees paintings that he doesn't like. Right. Um, and that's fine. Right. I think, um, you know, obviously, if over time you come, so you see a a particular painting by a particular artist and you read about the artist and you read about what he or she was trying to accomplish in the painting or whatever it is, that's terrific. But the fundamental reaction is one of, you know, I find this beautiful and I want to look more deeply at it. So it's I, I think I think then the fundamental thing for being able to be opened out is to simply look, hmm. right? Don't try to control. Don't worry that you don't know what you're looking at. Just look. You know, that's interesting. That that makes me think of uh, um, 
of relationships too. Mm-hmm. That when, right when you meet someone. For, so when I when I met my wife, there was something beautiful about her that right. made me want to to know more. Exactly. Know her more. Exactly. No, and that's it. I mean, I mean, I, I've done fun things like this, and and this is a way if, if for people who are not familiar with or comfortable with art museums. Back in my professor days, I used to take students to the Virginia Museum of Fine Arts, and I would say, and they had a, a list of instructions, and the first thing was to walk quickly through all of the galleries. Don't look too close. And then whatever section of the art museum they found interesting, like if it was the Indian collection or the Chinese collection or the European art collection, go back and find a room that draws you, and then, then go back to that room and look and find the one painting or sculpture that draws you let it be a sort of a, an opening, uh, an open experience um, in just that way, and 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 let let it just touch you, and then sort of go deeper. You're drawn to certain paintings, you know, just as you said. There's something beautiful about them. There's something meaningful. There's there's a, a meaning that draws you in. You may not even know why, but then then sort of look. And that's the other thing. Um, how do you how do you um, how do you discover to, how do you go deeper into looking at a work of art? The looking itself matters. So we're such a, a quick culture where we we are used to multitasking. We're used to seeing 16 different things on our computer screen simultaneously that we've forgotten how to really look deeply. And I remember, again, I used to um, take, back in my professor days, take students. Occasionally we would go up to Washington, and one of my favorite museums anywhere is the Phillips Collection, which is... Uh, late 19th and 20th century art. Um, and one of my favorite painters is an abstract expressionist named Mark Rothko. And there's a famous sort of uh, uh, suite, a, 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 a set of his paintings in the Phillips collection. Um, and there's one, it's a small room, and there's one on each wall. And they're extremely luminously beautiful. And my students, though, like most people, when they see modern art for the first time, they're like, oh, I could do that. You know, there's nothing there. And I, and I would tell them, I was like, go sit, choose one of those four paintings and look at it for 20 minutes without saying anything and then tell me what you see. And invariably they would come and like, that was amazing because you actually have to spend time in the same way that you had to actually get to know, you saw something in Claire, your wife, that, that now wife, that, that drew you to her, but it took a long time of being with her for her, her to reveal herself. Works of art work exactly the same way. So is that um, kind of what what beauty, when you talk about art and beauty um, and looking at it, can you open up just a little bit more what it's doing to us? Um, well, as- so this is this is in, so this is in relation. So this goes a step deeper, right? So that 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 the, the beauty that we're experiencing in art and in nature is like everything good, an expression of the love of God. Right. So, and you know, I I, I was I have here a, a psalm. I'm just going to read the beginning of this is Psalm 19, the first part, uh, which I've always loved because it it talks about how the beauty of nature reveals the glory of God, and the glory of God is is really the beauty of God, the fullness of God. Um, and so, the beginning of the psalm. This is just the first couple of verses. The heavens proclaim the glory of God, and the firmament shows forth the work of his hands. Day into day takes up the story, and night into night makes known the message. 
No speech, no word, no voice is heard, yet their span extends through all the earth, their words to the utmost bounds of the world. There he has placed a tent for the sun. It comes forth like a bridegroom coming from his tent, rejoices like a champion to run its course. At the end of the sky is the rising of the sun. To the furthest end of the sky is its course. There is nothing concealed from its burning heat. And, And it goes on from there. But that is all about how God is revealing in nature itself his own beauty and his own care and the orderliness of creation and so on. Creation itself is a sacramental witness that is its physical stuff that reveals something about God. Right. And so so the experience of beauty in nature, whether we are consciously aware of it or not, the experience of beauty in nature is an experience of God's love expressed in beauty. And it's the same thing in works of art. And they don't have to be Christian works of art. So a lot of what we talk about rightly is, and we talk about the stations of the cross at the beginning or, you know, a beautiful crucifix or a beautiful painting of a particular aspect of the life of Jesus. That's really wonderful and and beautiful and, and has a specific and particular meaning for us as Christians. But the power of beauty working through art is by no means limited to specific um, uh, artists or, or specifically Christian art. That is art with a Christian theme or content. Um, you know, you, you think I, I was talking to somebody yesterday actually about Monet's famous um, paintings of water lilies, which are everybody's favorites. Um, and he spent Not mine. Well, except for Anthony. And, um, <laughs> but I was talking about how, I mean, Monet was not painting Christian art. Monet was not necessarily particularly Christian himself, but what he paints, because he's a child of God, uh, because he is made for communion with God, Monet was given the capacity um, to reveal beauty of the beauty of nature in a work of art, right? So when we look at, at a Monet, or many people look at a Monet, um, they see something revealed about nature in that work of art that affects them powerfully. It's not something that you can turn into a thought necessarily, but it's the effect of the beauty itself. Again, it doesn't have to be limited to, I mean, some of the greatest art. I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, as you know, I'm very interested in, in certain expressions of 20th century art, which are not necessarily naturalistic at all. Rothko is an example of that. Um, so it doesn't even have to be, you know, naturalistic, but insofar as it is a true work of art, it's going to be beautiful, and that beauty is somehow going to reveal something of God. Yeah, so like uh, so like with a Monet, I think that kind of shows something about the human person. So I might not like Monet that much, but I recognize that he's capturing something about reality. Right, that, that right. Then he's showing us and revealing, even though we've seen lily pads before, he's showing a different facet of reality that maybe we don't always... Uh, appreciate or don't always notice. And I think um, when we see a beautiful piece of art or when we see a beautiful scene in, in creation, uh, we recognize that, that like there's something in us that cannot remain uh, neutral right. about it. Right. Like the, the reality, reality itself moves us. Right. Reality exactly itself right. touches us and like helps and opens us up to, see the beauty of God. To, is that kind of what you're talking about? Father? Well, it's, yeah, exactly. I mean, very much so. And it's also interesting that you use the word reality because as Christians, um, we affirm there is such a thing. 
um, that, that is that there's a reality to things that is not simply a figment of my imagination or the product of my mental constructs, that reality is, is given by God, right? That reality is defined and determined by God who reveals himself in all the ways we've been talking about and reveals himself com- most fully and completely in his son, Jesus Christ. And that's what defines reality. And so when you're talking about um, art revealing reality, the best art um, is, is art that, that beyond beautiful technique, beyond beautiful colors, um, in a huge array of ways, reveals to us something, uh, illuminates something about reality illuminates something about life, illuminates something about God's relation to us or our relationship to God. And again, not necessarily in an obvious way. So when I look at a painting by Mark Rothko for a long time, there's something that is being, God is telling me about his beauty, Hmm. but I'm not going to try to put it into words. I'm just going to let it affect me. Um, You know, so we don't have to turn it into thought, Right. Beauty is its own mode of knowledge. We know things through beauty. We don't have to turn it into something else. Wow. Would you say it's um, one thing that I've noticed just when I see something really beautiful there and we you kind of talked about this already, but that there's something inspiring about it. Oh, sure. um, That actually makes makes me at times want to create art that reflects that. Right. When I saw the Rockies, I wanted to write about it. You know, that's that's kind of my probably my only expression of art is right. to do is to write. And so I wanted to write about it and somehow express that which had an impact on me. No, that's beautiful. I mean, and that's absolutely true. And I, I, I mean, I hadn't I, I hadn't told anybody this, but I had an experience of this um, myself recently uh, when we did our little staff retreat uh, right before uh, it was happened to be on uh, Tuesday before Ash Wednesday. Um, and we did a couple of hours of staff retreat. It was and, a great retreat, by the well, way. Well, well, it was just it's it was, it's yeah. I mean, I thought it was it was wonderful for me too. I didn't have anything to do with it. I just made us do it. But um, <laughs> but one of the things we did, I, I had people, all of us, look at the different works of of art in the Blessed Sacrament Chapel in the church, the stations, the crucifix, the various different things. Um, and I ask, long story short, I asked people to to spend some time. As I said before, I used to do with my students. It was the same sort of thing. Look, if, look at the piece that draws you the most. And then I said, you have to try to draw it. Um, and I said, don't worry, nobody will look at this um, because m- most people are horrified that they can't do anything artistic. I'm one of them. I mean, I, and I sat there, and I, I love the crucifix that hangs over the altar. Um, and I, I, don't, I can't draw. I mean, I, I just can't. But I was like, all right, I'm going to do this. And, and I... I started drawing Jesus' face and and arms outstretched on the cross, and it's a terrible drawing, but but it helped me to understand something about what I was looking at, right? By trying to make something that that honored the beauty of the crucifix, I was you know, it helped me to understand it a little bit better. And it doesn't have to be something that direct. I mean, I you know, oftentimes people are inspired. Um, by nature to do something in music. I mean, I know that's you, Austin, and I mean, Anthony, you are an artist and you're inspired in that way. Um, but, but that's the thing. Don't be afraid. You don't have to show the world, uh, risk drawing, risk painting, um, you know, risk coming up with a song and that'll help you to, to be, you know, experience the beauty that much more deeply. Hmm. That's beautiful. 
No pun intended. It's <laughs> great. So uh, to to kind of close this out, I mean, this might be a topic for a whole other day, but like uh, you often hear the phrase "beauty is in the eye of the beholder." How, mm-hmm. What would you say to that, Father? That's a good question. Um, so it's one of those questions. Actually, the question itself can mean just about anything you want it to. I think so. They're different. So, so let's look at it from a couple of different angles. If beauty is in the eye of the, if the question, if the phrase "beauty is in the eye of the beholder" means that it's my own personal, autonomous, individual perspective that determines whether something is art or not. Well, that's sort of the plague of the age. If it doesn't matter to me, if if it's not if it's not X, Y, or Z to me, then it doesn't matter, and that's not helpful. Um, I think there, there are works of art. So I'll just make it personal. There are, there are schools of art. Um, there are styles of art that I recognize as being beautiful, that I recognize as having power, but that do not move me. Right. And so, so, um, but again, it's a corporate versus an individual thing. Uh, um, we, we, we think so individualistically now that we don't realize there used to be like what was what was called canons of beauty, C-A-N-O-N, so that that different styles, um, classical art like the the art of Greece and Rome, the think of the Parthenon. You know that was not somebody's singular idea of what that person thought was beautiful. It was based on what the whole culture thought was beautiful, mm-hmm. and that's how things have been up until very recently. So beauty is in the eye of the beholder. If I can look at something that I recognize other people find beautiful and not find it beautiful, and that's fine. Um, but the nature of beauty is such that, um, again, the beauty is sort of determined by God. And this this gets into complex theory really fast, um, <laughs> which we're not going to do. But But basically, there is a relationship between... Um, how something expresses beauty, and again, not in a narrow way. So you can have something as diverse as Fra Angelico, who was one of the early Renaissance artists, and Mark Rothko, who I keep bringing up. They couldn't be more different from each other, and yet both are beautiful because they express in an exemplary way um, something powerful and something real. So I would say that, that an art object has its own power of beauty, that doesn't mean that everybody will find it beautiful, mm-hmm. right? It's also the case that somebody will say, well, you know, anybody can do art. Everybody's art is equally good. That's, I don't think that's actually true. And, and you know, when something you just said there sparked an idea, it's, it's almost like, you know, we all have devotions to various saints. Right. All of the saints are objectively right. beautiful. Well said. You know, yeah. like all no, of the saints are, are participations in the life of God. They, they reveal something about God. But I might be attracted to, you know, a Padre Pio or a St. Anthony or a Teresa of Lisieux, whereas somebody else might be in- interested in more, I don't know, like John Paul II. You know, I like JP2 more. But uh, <laughs> who doesn't no, like JP2? That's actually, that's actually a really, really good analogy um, because you, you have this great array of saints who are, by their exemplary lives and by their, their noble uh, and heroic virtues, are are – making something God through them is making something objectively known, but not everybody's going to respond to all the same saints. And that's perfectly fine. And thank God, right? Right. Like, right. Indeed. See God in a different way from like in a different, uh, 
uh, manifestation. Right. Well, take it take it back to to nature again. I mean, you know, I, I actually this crossed my mind when when Austin you were talking about the Rockies, which I find beautiful. But because of my own personal history, I love I much prefer the Appalachian Mountains. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean I don't think the Rockies aren't beautiful. They are. But my personal reaction is to the beauty of the Appalachian Mountains. Same thing. You know, one person may find himself or herself drawn deeply to Rothko or abstract expressionism. Another may find, um, you know, academic painting of the late 19th century France, you know, or or uh, 18th, 18th, 18th century French painting, which I really hate. <laughs> Too much pink froth. Um, but, you know, but that's, but I recognize that there's quality there, sure. right? So the analogy is very good. Oh, that's great, Father. No, it, and it, I mean, it, I think it just all points back to the master artist, our God. Right. That there's just literally eternal creativity that pours out and, and inspires each one of us differently and inspires our lives, which I personally like to think of as a work of art, you know, that he's constantly shaping us and molding us into, um, you know, into something really beautiful. And no, and that's it. Well, so and maybe I know we're running out of, out of time, but that, that sort of brings it around to, to something I noticed. Um, obviously I knew we were going to do this podcast today and it just so happens that the office of readings, the, the first reading from the office of readings in the liturgy of the hours is a passage that has to do with the, the creation of the, the first meeting tent, uh, the first, uh, temple, uh, tent of meeting in the old Testament that Moses, um, constructed. And it's very clear. Moses says to the Israelites, um, the Lord has chosen, uh, Bezalel, son of Uri, of the tribe of Judah, and has filled him with the divine spirit of skill and understanding and knowledge in every craft, in the production of embroidery, in making things of gold, silver, or bronze, mounting precious stones, carving wood, and in every other craft, um, and the ability to execute all types of work, engraving, embroidering, the making of variegated cloth of violet, purple, and scarlet yarn, and so on. And, and I think this is very powerful because it's, it's the first instance I can think of in Scripture where God himself identifies the power of creativity and the power of making art as a divine gift, yeah. right? And, and so the, the, the master craftsman, the, the great artist who is our God, who made all that is, gives those made in his image a p- participation in his divine creativity so that we too in our different ways can create beautiful things that in the same way that nature reveals god by being nature um that our works of art and and architecture and music and so on can reveal god by our participation in being made in the image of god who is the great artist the great divine artist in the spirit of creating beautiful things, that's what we want this podcast to be. Something that's beautiful that you can share with friends and family and just share the love of God. That's Absolutely. what this is all about. Absolutely. And Father, I just want to thank you, uh, first of all, for, for the podcast ministry. I mean, you've been really supportive of, of this whole ministry. Oh, very and, excited about it. Yeah, we're, we're excited to see where the Holy Spirit takes it. Um, thanks for this time talking about beauty. And we're looking forward to bringing the pastor back on the show pretty regularly. I look forward to it very much. <laughs> Well, until next time, Our Lady of Mount Carmel, pray for us. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the presenters alone and do not necessarily reflect the views of Our Lady of Mount Carmel Catholic Church in Newport News, Virginia, or the Catholic Diocese of Richmond. 
This podcast is presented to you by individuals who are not all necessarily experts in the field of discussion, but are answering the call to new evangelization and sharing their love of Christ with you. God bless you.